Do you know what an in-between time is? An in-between time is, um, if you look up here, it's the time between events. So a lot of us live a lot of our lives in the in-between time. There's an event, and then there's the in-between time, and there's an event. Let me give you an example. A lot of you live this every single week. You live for Friday evening, the weekend. That's the event. And then there's the in-between time for you of Monday to Friday, and then the event of the weekend. And so that's an example of in-between time. And we spend a lot of our times in the in-between time. There are some odd people that actually their in-between time is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they live for Monday. And it's okay. We let them be here with us. They can hang out with us. There are people that uh, live in the in-between times because they have four tickets to the home game for whatever it is, the team that they're cheering for. And the in-between time for them is that time in between the home games. And there's the waiting and the waiting and the waiting and the anticipating and the waiting and the anticipating. And that's the in-between time. For some of you, it might be family events. I come from a family where there's a lot of us, so when the immediate family gets together, like my mom, my brothers and sisters, their kids, and now their kids have kids, there's about 70 of us. And our in-between time is usually in the summer we get together for Canada Day. And we have uh, everybody chips in for fireworks and we're outdoors and there's about 70 of us and there's always about 10 people that I don't know who they are or where they came from. They're not part of the family, but they're just there. But for a lot of us, we live for that time when we get to go and be with family. And then there's the time in between. And some of that time in between is how do we live in the time in between? How do you go from weekend to weekend but make the week meaningful, the in-between time? Well, there's a sense of in-between time when we think about what it means to follow Jesus. And let me give you an example of this here. You've got the life of Jesus that we read about in these stories that we have in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and then Jesus goes back to be with the Father. But he's promised us that he's coming back. And the time between when he was here in person walking this earth and his return is the in-between time. And sometimes theologians will call this um, the, the now and the not yet. So we know that he's coming back. We know that things have been started with his first time here in person. All things are being made new in Christ, and yet we realize it's not finished. There's the now and the not yet in the in-between time of anticipating what God is doing through Jesus. And the passage we're going to look at today in Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 12, we're in this series going through Luke, and for the past number of weeks we've been looking at Luke chapter 11 and 12, this idea that um, it's not what you think. Faith is not what you think. Just when you think you've got it all figured out, Jesus turns things upside down on its head, flips them around, and surprises you with new learning and new things to grow into. And so Jesus tells a number of stories in the passage that we're going to look at today with this idea of the in-between time. 
anticipating what's coming later, but realizing that we live in the now. So I want to read some of it. It's a, it's a long passage, so I'm going to read some of it and then just tell you about some of it. All of this is coming off of what we looked at last week, the context that Jesus is inviting people who are following him not to worry, not to get caught up in the financial uh, systems that draw us away from God, but to realize that we don't have to worry about things like food and clothing and housing because God wants to give us those things. God will take care of us. And then, of course, um, the surprise piece to that was he often does that through the way that we take care of each other. So in that context, Jesus then says this, beginning uh, in verse 35 of Luke chapter 12. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. In other words, keep the lights on. As though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. So I need to ask you to get in the mindset of being a servant in first century Palestine. Or think Downton Abbey. Okay, you're, you're the servants and you're waiting for, uh, I forget the main character's name. I've never watched an episode, but I kind of know about it. So um, the, the distinguished guy, he's away and he's coming back. So think of it that way. Keep the lights on as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. And the servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If the homeowner knew when the burglar was coming, he wouldn't let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready all the time because the Son of Man will come when least expected. And Peter heard this and he said, Lord, is that an illustration for us or for everyone? And Jesus tells another story to answer his question. Well, a faithful sensible servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. And then for the rest of this story, Jesus says, and the servant who basically says, ah, the master's gone, I can do what I want, and he abuses his privileges and the people around him, well, the master's going to come back and catch him by surprise, and he's going to be punished. And those who know what they're supposed to do and don't do it are punished. Those who don't know what they're supposed to do um, and the master comes back, well, they get punished a little bit. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. And then it gets surprising. Because then Jesus says this. I have come to set the world on fire. Yeah, I need a pound. Just... Bear with me. I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. I think that's the first time I've ever done that in all my years of preaching. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. And then he says, I'm going to divide families against themselves. Fathers against sons, mothers against daughters. You think I've come to bring peace. I've come to divide people. And then he turns to the crowd, and he says, listen, you guys can tell by the weather what's going to happen. And then you adjust your living based on what you know is going to happen. How come you can do that for physical things, but you can't do that by reading the signs of the times? 
And then he tells a story about going off to court and reconciling before you actually get to court. And that's it. And you're like, oh, okay. So this is going to be one of those Sundays where we talk about judgment and punishment. And yeah, we are going to talk about that. But with that in-between time, I wonder if you picked up here what Jesus is doing in the stories that he's telling. The master goes away to a wedding feast and comes back. The homeowner goes away and the house might get broken into. The master is away and the servants need to stay faithful. So another way of understanding the in-between times is like this. Presence, absence, and presence. The master's away. The homeowner's away. The king is away. The Lord is away. What do you do in the absence? How do you live in the absence, anticipating the return, but never being sure exactly when it's going to happen or how that is going to play out? And it's fascinating that Jesus tells these stories, helping people understand the signs of the times. This whole thing about God coming back, Jesus returning, has led for, for many, many decades on theology that involves trying to predict when he's coming back. And so you'll hear terms like the rapture. How many of you have heard of the rapture? Not the basketball team in Toronto. Rapture. Uh, tribulation. And, and the whole Left Behind series. And... Um, Without getting into all of that, I think when we spend all of our time focusing on the later, we miss the opportunity to embrace the now. And I think we have to be very careful with trying to use something that we think might happen later to scare people into somehow following Jesus now. Even though in this passage, there's this sense of, hey, pay attention to the times and what's going on. And if we're honest, the in-between time, the time of absence, is, is a difficult time. It's hard to wait for God. And I think Jesus anticipates that in this story that he tells. Look at the verse, verse 37 here. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. And the stories about this guy going off to a wedding feast... And, and it's so helpful to pick up on these sometimes. The master is away, but he's not away on business. He's away celebrating. He's away partying. And the sense is the servants need to be ready for when he gets back because when he gets back, he's bringing the party with him. And if you catch it, if they're ready, he's going to put his apron on and he's going to go around the table and he's going to make sure that they get to join in the party and they get to celebrate with him and he's going to make sure that they are well fed. But the encouragement is take advantage of the in-between time. Embrace the absence Live in the way that you've been instructed to so that you can enjoy the party and the celebration. Because when he gets back, it's party time. 
And who doesn't want to be ready for that? Who wants to miss that? Nobody. Jesus likes to talk about weddings. One time uh, he got asked, you know, about the way his disciples were behaving. He said, listen, the friends of the bridegroom are with the bridegroom. That's when they party. Later on, they'll mourn, but not right now. Or he talks about um, a king who puts on a great banquet in Matthew 22, and he invites everybody to come. And his only frustration is that so many people seem to have an excuse for not wanting to be part of the party, and he doesn't get it. So he just says, go out and bring anybody in. And I love it because it paints this picture of the least and the last and the lonely and the lost are the ones who are brought into the wedding banquet. We have this story here of Jesus teaching about the master wanting to bring the celebrations back. In Luke 14, he talks about, you know, learning humility that when you're invited to a wedding feast, you don't sit in the place of honor. You let the host determine where you're going to sit. And then, of course, in John 2, there's the wedding in Cana where Jesus makes the wine, uh, the best wine for the, for the end of the wedding feast as a way of celebrating uh, the kingdom of God. And so in the midst of this in-between time of waiting and absence, there's this sense of anticipating the celebration, the return of the master, the return of the king. But there's also this challenge of, of absence. So look at this, these next verses. Jesus says, if, if the homeowner knew when the burglar was coming, the homeowner would make sure that the house didn't get broken into. So you need to be ready all the time because the Son of Man may come back when least expected. And then Peter's the one that asked this question. So is this for us or is this for everyone? And I think Peter's, Peter's trying to get his head wrapped around this idea of absence. And I think for a lot of people, when we consider the idea of absence and we apply that to God, it almost automatically, for most people, takes on a negative tone. God's absence is a sign that something is wrong. I must have done something wrong. We've done something wrong. There's something amiss because God is absent. And so we think automatically of oh, God's punishing me. He's pulling back. And because I haven't done something right or we haven't done something right. And I don't know if, if you consciously are aware of that. But most of the conversations that I've had, even as I've thought through in my own life and my journey and my progress with God, often there's this idea of absence being there's a problem. But in the story Jesus tells, there's no problem. The master's, he's at a wedding. He's partying. He's gone. Like, where's your master? Well, he's, he's out partying. I like that image. It's not an image that we have a lot of God. The God who parties. And he's coming back. And if we're ready when he gets back, he's bringing the party with him. <clears throat> we have three grown children. And, uh, and they're now learning what it's like to have their own children, some of them. And when you think about parenting... When, the, when they're first born, your kids and they're little, they just need you all the time. You know how exhausting that is, right? Like, it's just nonstop. 
It's like for a three-year-old, can't you feed yourself for a day? Come on. <clears throat> of course, that's the dad talking, right? But as our children get older, part of being a loving parent is to give them space. You step back and you let them experience life. So you let them go out in the backyard and play. Or the very first time that you let your child walk up the street to their friend's house. That's absence. That is not a sign that something's wrong. That is a sign that, that you're growing and maturing. And it's actually an act of love. The master's away. I wonder if we could see absence sometimes as an act of God's love rather than always that something's wrong. And that applies to the in-between times that we live in now together. But I wonder how much that might apply to your own life <clears throat> when you struggle with feeling like God is absent and automatically assuming I've done something wrong. Maybe you have. But I wonder how that changes for us if we begin to understand that possibly absence is an act of love to give us an opportunity to embrace what we've been given, a new way of living, and to be faithful and ready like God is faithful with us. And so we're left with the question, if it's an act of love, then how do I live in the in-between time when God's absent? See, Peter asked the question, <clears throat> is this story for us or is it for everyone about being ready? And then Jesus says, well, let me tell you another story. The master who goes away, he puts a servant in charge and the servant's meant to take care of the other household servants and make sure that they're fed. And if he doesn't do that or if she doesn't do that, they're going to be caught off guard and they'll get a whooping. That's the vernacular that's used here. But if they're faithful, they get rewarded. When much is given, much is expected. When much responsibility is given, much is expected in return. So there's this sense of judgment <clears throat> in these verses. And it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. I find it particularly interesting that in this part here, you know, Peter's saying, is this for us, your disciples, the twelve? And I think the answer Jesus gives is, yeah, this is for you guys. This is for you who are responsible of taking care of the others and everyone who's going to come after you, who has the responsibility of taking care of others. That's the people like me. I don't know if that helps you. I'm not necessarily saying like, hey, don't worry about this. It's not about you. It's just about me. I'm the one that's going to be in trouble if I don't get it right. And some of, some, some, sometimes I think people would think, yeah, I like that. There is this sense, though, that those who teach, those who lead, those who shepherd and care have a responsibility to make sure that the other servants are fed. Did you catch that? When the master comes back from the wedding feast, what's he going to do? He's going to put his apron on and make sure that everybody's enjoying the party and that they're fed. The servants who are responsible when the master's away are meant to do the very same thing. 
Now, can we zoom out for a second? Do you remember what book of the Bible we're looking at? Luke chapter 12, right? Shake your head yes. Those of you following online, shake your head yes. Okay, good. And there's a progression in this story. The early chapters, Jesus, it's, Luke is telling us all about Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And then in Luke chapter 9, twice Jesus says, I'm going to die and rise from the dead. I'm going to die and rise from the dead. And at the very end of chapter 9, Luke tells us that Jesus left Galilee, set his face for Jerusalem. And now from chapter 9 all the way to chapter 19, it's the story of Jesus traveling from Galilee in the north down to Jerusalem. Everything that happens in those chapters is in this context of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So all the stuff that we're learning in these chapters kind of falls under this category of Jesus saying, here's my mission, die, rise again. Death and resurrection, we are resurrection people. And as we're reading these stories, it's so helpful, I think, if we keep them in the context of death, resurrection. So part of my responsibility as a teacher is to always make sure that you are fed the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So sometimes people will come to me and, and it happens to every pastor, so I'm not unique. And the conversation goes like this, pastor, I'm not being fed. And my response is, yes, you are. You just don't like the food. <laughs> and I'm always happy, like, so honestly, I'm always happy if there's a feedback and, and uh, constructive criticism and feedback. In fact, I like trends. So one person will say I loved it, the other person will say I hate it. But if many people are saying I loved it or hate it, then I pay attention to that. But one of the things that, that I've embraced in my ministry is this. We are resurrection people. And I will always teach the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but that we are to live that. We are to be people who die to self, who are Jesus-centered, who are self-sacrificing, other-oriented, living a new life in Christ. We embrace the new life of Christ as we die to ourselves. And so all of this story is about learning to wait on the Jesus way. And that's the way of death and resurrection. And not to get caught up in things like the wealth that he was just teaching about beforehand or our religiosity that we think is going to get us so far. And anything that we're doing that is trying to overtake dying to self so that we can have the life of Christ in us, you're getting on the wrong bus. And so part of my accountability is to make sure, I think, they just continue to teach this over and over and over again until you are sick of it. And then you're going to ask, what are we eating? I'm going to say leftovers <laughs> again. And then this leads to Jesus kind of shocking us. Because we get to verse 50, 51, and Jesus says, man, I wish the world were on fire right now. Because I've got a baptism of suffering that I've got to undergo. And how I wish that fire were already kindled. And you're just like, where's this coming from? 
what is this all about? This is Jesus meek and mild. We're going to be celebrating the meek and mild baby Jesus starting next week. And here's Jesus saying, like, let's burn it. Let's burn this baby. What is he getting at? Let's divide households. <clears throat> it's this in-between time in the absence of God of realizing that the way of Jesus is often so contrary to everything that we're so used to experiencing in this world. And I think Jesus is just simply saying, I am ready to turn this thing over because it needs to get corrected. And referencing his baptism is like, it's my death and my resurrection that is going to turn the world upside down. So let's get the show started. And for those of you that are forgetting, I think is what he's saying here is, you got to understand this. If you're going to be faithful and ready and waiting, then the Jesus way is going to create conflict because it's always going to butt up against the ways of the world. And that's ultimately going to bring confusion and misunderstanding and miscommunication and frustration among people. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you haven't. And I love, he just finishes and says, you pay attention. I love that today is storming out because half of you are watching online because you adjusted your way of living based on the weather conditions. The other half are here and they're just nuts. So <laughs> driving in the weather. I can't, you, I live like, I, I'm a five minute walk so I can never really justify missing because of the weather unless maybe it was a comet or something. But um, pay attention to the times. And I don't think that means like predicting when the rapture is going to happen. Just if, if I could encourage you, there are other ways to understand the scriptures and the return of Jesus than half the people are going to burn so that somehow you can enjoy life in the later. It's not about later, it's about now. And letting the anticipation of the party coming here and just being ready for it so that we can participate in it with the master influence the way that you and I live in the here and the now, living as resurrection people, living as people that are completely comfortable with death in all of its forms, not just physical, but dying to ourself daily, embracing the life of Christ in the cross, the cruciform way of living, anticipating his return, and recognizing that the absence of God isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's a chance for us to grow up and to show that we are with him in partnership, eagerly anticipating the return of the master and then joining in the party when he does. Let's pray. Think of that, the word in the scriptures, Maranatha, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, return to us. I think of, of, of the in-between time that we're living in. And it feels so long. And yet we're reminded by the psalmist, our life is but a breath.
thank you that being away isn't necessarily the sign that something's wrong. And maybe for some of us, your absence or the feeling of it is because you're calling us, correcting us, disciplining us to turn us back to you. So we acknowledge that, God, but we also acknowledge that your absence is giving us a chance to grow up and to be in relationship with you because we want to be, not because we're being forced into it or because we're somehow being motivated by fear. I thank you that you're the God who isn't absent forever. And as your people, we anticipate your return. And we live the life of death and resurrection day by day by day as your faithful servants, waiting, waiting for, the, for the party to really kick into high gear when you return. Amen. Amen. Thanks for today. Um, do drive home safe. Next week is literally Advent. So we are going to be, um, yeah, as Steve already mentioned, um, grab the, uh, what's that thing called? This thing. <coughs> the book. And uh, yeah, the PDF is, is also um, generally interactive. So if you like more interactive things, there's things on there that you can interact with. And uh, there's a, a missional thing to do every week. So there's ideas for how to do some things in your community. And, uh, and I want to encourage you to, to read through it and think about, oh, what could I do week on week? And then we'll try to encourage each other just to live missionally through Advent. Uh, of being people that are that are waiting for God to come back. But in the meantime, we're going to celebrate things like this. So next week, we're going to look at the idea of hope and then love and then joy and then peace. And then it's Christmas Eve. Wow. Okay, we'll see you next Sunday. There'll probably be green grass and rain outside. So enjoy, enjoy today while it lasts. God bless. <laughs>